So just prior to the message today, um, I was getting ready for the first service, and, and I got a, a, an email on my phone, how Dick Tracy is that, right? And it was from my brother, who I seldom ever hear from, and I mentioned the fact that, uh, that I was going to get to do the sermon today, and he responded, you'll do grace. I don't think that's what he meant, that's what I needed to hear. I don't care if my message is great. It should be full of grace. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear her. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them a parable Suppose you have 100 sheep and lose one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need it. Now Luke chapter 15 is an incredible chapter. Now, now most of you have heard these stories Many times. I mean, it's a parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And and they're not new to us. But as C.S. Lewis once said, we don't need new truth as much as we need reminded of the old ones. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to remind you of some incredible truths. Join me in prayer. Gracious God, we come before you this morning just mindful of the fact that it's within families that we learn to love and be loved. Lord, I thank you for this evergreen family. And my prayer this morning is directly from scriptures. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, my God, my rock, and my fortress. Amen. Okay, raise your hand if you've ever played the game hide and seek. Now, hide-and-seek's a very simple game. One person seeks, and everybody else runs off and hides. And when you're playing hide-and-seek, the fun part of the game is to be the hider, because if you're one of the hiders, you get to be in control. You get to decide where to go. You get to open your eyes. You get to call the shots. The hard part of hide-and-seek is to be the one who is to seek. I mean... After you get the job, everybody runs away from you, and then you get to keep looking for people who are trying to evade you, people who are laughing at your inability to find them, which usually makes it easier to find them. (laughs) But that's what nobody wants, that part of the job. Nobody wants to take that job. They keep running away from you. Have you ever noticed that in the game of hide-and-seek, The one who gets stuck with the job of seeking doesn't get much of a title. I mean, in other games, games that I'm probably most familiar with, like football, you you have the center, and he's the one around which all the activity happens, right? It flows. You have wide receivers, and that kind of sounds progressive, right? You get guards. Now, there's something that guards and protects something valuable that matters to you. In in hide-and-seek, it's not that way at all. What do you call the one in hide-and-seek who seeks? Anybody know it? 
it. <laughs> it. Not commander it. Not prime minister it. Not president it. Not CEI, chief executive it. <laughs> Senior it. Not Mr. it. Not even cousin it, for those of you that remember the Adams family. Just plain old it. And nobody wants to be it. In fact, at the start of the game, what does everybody say? Not it. Yeah. All right, here's another question. What happens at the end of the game if people are hidden themselves so well? What happens if, if everybody successfully eluded you? It, through the entire game, it cups his hands around his mouth, opens them wide, shouts those four words that penetrate the entire neighborhood. It ends the game by saying, ollie, ollie, oxen free. Ever wonder where that phrase comes from? Well, it means liberate the oxen. Now, I don't know. I don't know what it means. I have no idea. I was sharing this kind of information with the guys at the fire station, Captain Richardson and his crew. You guys know him as Kevin. And we've all decided that all the oxen free was probably a Scandinavian word. I don't know. I don't know. But whatever all the oxen, oxen free means, and hide and seek it means, it is now safe to come home. No one will chase you. No one will tag you. You won't suffer any penalties. And you won't have to be it. You see, ollie, ollie, oxen free is a cry of grace to people who are in hiding. It's now safe. It's now time to come home. In Luke 15, Jesus is telling a kind of hide-and-seek story. Actually, three stories of two, which we will focus on. Where there's somebody or someone seeking and something is lost. And do you know what the amazing thing is about this game, all-important game of hide-and-seek? God is taking the job that nobody wants. God is it. And God has taken that job forever. Understand, there's a reason why Jesus is telling this story this way. You see, very often people are on a spiritual journey. They're they're themselves seekers or searchers. Why? Because they're seeking for truth. They're seeking for God. They're asking questions. They're reading books. They're going to classes. They're watching the Discovery Channel. They're attending church, all in the search for truth. <clears throat> and here, it's what's a really good thing to know. In fact, God wants us to be seekers. He created us to seek. He commands us to seek. In Jeremiah 29, 13, and 14, God says, When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you. And in that great sermon by the sea, Jesus says, He who seeks finds. Yes, we're all seekers. But that's not the whole story about us, is it, friends? The truth is that we're not just seekers, we're also hiders. Listen, it's important for you and I to come to face to face with our tendencies. Our tendencies to get lost, to hide from God. And 
the game of hide and seek, people have been playing that game with God ever since the garden. After the fall, after they ate from the forbidden fruit, what did Adam and Eve do? They hid from God in the bushes. Yeah. I could just hear them saying, oh, I can't believe we just did that. Oh, no, I hear God coming. Quick, let's hide. I hope he doesn't find us. And God's people have been hiding ever since. Abraham hid in Egypt. Moses hid in the wilderness. David hid behind his own crown. Jonah hid in a boat that was traveling away from God. Zacchaeus hid behind his wealth. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law hid behind the laws and religion. I have two questions regarding hiding from God. Where do we hide from God today? We, they, us, hide behind busyness, activities, pleasures, possessions, drugs, alcohol, anger, relationships, even those that we know are wrong, rituals, religion, rules, ignorance, and so many other things. But regardless of where people choose to hide, the goal, the purpose is the same, to keep God at a distance, to keep God from seeing them. Here's a second question. Why do people hide from God? Well, there are many reasons about hiding as there are places to hide. People hide from God because they've done something wrong. They've, they've messed up sinned, failed, fallen short. They want to do or are doing something wrong. They're afraid of what God's going to do to them if he finds them. They don't feel worthy. Oh, maybe a little bit worthy, but not fully worthy. So they're never completely come out of hiding because they're afraid that there's just a part of them that God might reject and turn away from. But here, listen to this. Bottom line, People hide from God because they don't understand who God is. You see, if they knew who God was, they would realize two things. One, you can never hide from God. And two, you don't really want to hide from God. Have you ever wondered how God felt when you were lost? When you were in hiding, when you'd strayed, when you left his path to walk your own? How does God feel when he sees lost people? What does he see? What is his desire for them? Now, the sinners and the tax collectors were all gathered around to him to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, and this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. There are two groups of people here, sinners and tax collectors and Pharisees and teachers of the law. Why were the sinners and the Pharisees, sinners and teachers there? The sinners and tax collectors there because because they wanted to hear from God. They wanted to find out what He was doing. They wanted to hear words of hope that came from the Author and Sustainer of life. And why were the religious leaders muttering? Because they were ticked off. And why were they ticked off? Because God wasn't hanging out with them, wasn't telling them how great of rule keepers they were. You see, in their minds, if Jesus really was the Son of God, he would treat these sinners like the outcasts they were, and then they would sit around drinking lattes with them. 
What did these religious leaders misunderstand about both God and his one and only son? That people, regardless of race, education, color, looks, economic standing, their past or their present condition matter to God. Which brings me to our first point. You matter to God. When Jesus told them this parable, then he told them this parable. Suppose one of you had 100 sheep, lost one of them. Does he, leave the, he, does he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost one until he finds it? Okay, now what we have here is a lost sheep. Now let me ask you this. What do you think the odds are that this sheep is going to make it back home on his own? Not very good. Because, how can I say this delicately? Sheep are dumb. Hey, have you ever noticed that most animals that have any IQ at all ultimately get some kind of television series or their own movies? For example, dolphins, very intelligent creatures. Anybody remember the name of a dolphin that has his own television series? Flipper, Flipper, right. How about dogs? Lassie, Rin-Tin-Tin, Beethoven. There are cats like Garfield, famous horses like Black Beauty, Mr. Ed, Seabiscuit, spiders even get their own story, Charlotte's Web, and even pigs, babe. But can anybody here come up with the name of a great sheep? What's that? Well, and for some of you that have been around as long as I have, you might say, well, lamb chop, right? <laughs> lamb chop was not a sheep. It was a sock puppet that Sherry, used, that Sherry Lewis used to talk to. And I hate to burst your bubble, but um, lamb chop is not a sheep. Sheep are not bright animals. Sheep are not leaders. They're followers. Okay, here's what happens. You have a whole flock of sheep traveling, and one of them goes over to the side of the cliff. Now, do you know what happens to the rest of the flock? They all, every single one of them, fall right over the cliff to that same destruction. Now, you would think that at least one of them would pause for a moment, say to himself, you know, Molly went over that cliff, and she's never returned. I think I'll stop and reflect on this truth for a few minutes before I go any further. But no, that that's never happens. The sheep says to himself, well, okay, I'll give it a try. It doesn't sound like a bad idea to me. <laughs> what is the only hope this lost sheep has? That his shepherd will search for him until he finds him. That it's his, that's his only hope. And why would the shepherd do this? Because lost sheep matter to him. And you guys, here's the point. Why would Jesus come to seek and save the lost? Because every person matters to God. I love how one of my authors puts it. You'll never lock eyes with anyone who does not matter to God. You look around this room. Every face you see matters to God. And when you leave here today... When you go out to eat, when you go to the mall, or whatever, whatever, every face you see matters to God. And understand, it doesn't matter to the shepherd. It doesn't matter to God how or why people are lost. 
whatever the reason, he will go after them. And he'll go after them individually because each matter to him personally. In his book, More Jesus, Less Religion, Steve Atterburn, the founder of Women of Faith, writes, when God calls a man, he calls him personally. When God calls a woman, he calls, him, calls her personally. He tugs at the hearts of individuals, calling them one by one. It's a biblical pattern repeated time and time again from the time the creator walked with Adam in the garden in the cool of the day, calling out to him by name after he rebelled. And right through the Old and New Testament, we see God who relates to men and women in a personal way. We see stories about men and women who have met a personal God who's not too big to care about each person individually. If he knows all the stars and he can call them by name, isn't it too much to believe that he knows and cares about each of us? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And when he walked those dusty streets of this world, Jesus went after lost people passionately, individually, and personally, no matter who they were, where they were hiding, or what they had done. He went after Nathaniel, who was under a fig tree. He went after a woman who had been married five times and now was shacking up, drawing water from a well. He went after Peter, who was casting his nets. He went after Matthew, who sat behind a tax booth. He went after the invalid as he laid by the pool of Bethsaida. He went after the prostitute who anointed his feet with perfume. He went after the crooked tax collector who hung from a tree limb, hiding behind his wealth, and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Yes, Jesus in flesh went after lost people personally, passionately, and individually. Because every person matters to God. I think that's the reason there are so many lists in the Bible. People matter to God. Isn't it interesting to look at what the shepherd doesn't say? The shepherd doesn't come to the sheep and say things that we would be tempted to say. You stupid sheep. You only have yourself to blame. What were you thinking? Wandering off like this. Why couldn't you be more careful? Why don't you know the path? Didn't you know the path was narrow, the cliffs were steep, and the countryside was filled with wolves? Didn't you know that the path you always choose ends up in trouble? So don't come bleeding to me after you've gotten yourself lost. Yeah, I guess it looks like lamb stew for you, my woolly little friend. Nope. The shepherd does not say any of these things. Instead, the shepherd opens his arms, gathers the sheep around him, goes home, no condemnation, no lectures, just a shepherd so filled with compassion toward the sheep that when he finds it, his heart melts. And what does he do when he gets home? He throws a party. What do you think's going through the mind of the sinners and the tax collectors when they heard this, no way, Jesus, I, I can't matter that much to you. Not me, not where I've been, not what I've done. I mean, just look at me. And Jesus would say, yes, you do. In fact, the Father has party plates, cups, 
napkins and a banner with your name on it ever since the day you were knit in your mother's womb. And he has been waiting for this time to stop all the activity in heaven and throw a party just for you on the day that you come home. Then Jesus would look at them and say, Ollie, Ollie, oxen free. You can come out of hiding. It's safe to come home. You matter to God. And that brings me to my last point. All y'all oxen free. To illustrate that point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the state now before you die. So the, father got, so the father agreed and divided the wealth among his sons. Now the father had done everything he could for his son, and, and it wasn't enough. One day, the son comes to the father and, and reminded that the son and the, who the son is in this, in this story, who's the son in the story? That's us. And who's the father in this story? That's God. One day, the son comes to the father and says, Dad, I, I don't want to be here anymore. I, I don't want to live in this house any longer. And as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm sick of living here. I got to get out of here. And, and I don't want to wait for my inheritance either. I want what's mine, and I want it now. Sure. The father could have refused his son's request and made him stay, but he knew it really wouldn't have solved anything. And not long after this, the son gathered all he had and left home. Not only did he leave home, he left the country. He went a far away, and he, as he possibly could go from the father and all the father had for him. How do you think the father felt as he watched his son turn his back and walk down that dirty road? And in a far-off country, the, sand, the, the son forgot all about the father. He didn't call. He didn't write. He didn't come home for holidays. He didn't even send an email. He just stayed in a far-off land. And, and this guy really lived it up. I mean, it was nonstop partying like seaside at spring break. Drinking, drugs, women. He was in fifth gear with the top down. And then something happened. The money ran out. The well went dry, and his so-called friends scattered like rats on a sinking ship. Ever have friends like that? And Jesus tells us that this guy hit rock bottom. Verse 14. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the land, and the whole country began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen in that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, now remember, this young man was a Jew, and Jews and pigs were not on speaking terms. And what kind of job does this guy wind up with? Feeding pigs. And what starts looking to good to him? Pig food. Now, I'm all for a hunk of bacon or a pork chop, but... Muddy, smelly pig food, I think I'll pass. Well, one morning as this guy was starting to lust after this pig pod, and he was getting ready to take on the biggest hog in the trough, a light bulb came on. He came to his senses. Wait a minute. I don't have to live like this. And neither do you and I, as a matter of fact. I don't have to sit here with the pigs and starve to death. I'm going home. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. 
at my father's house, there's plenty of food to spare. Okay, and here's what I'll do. I'll tell my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but would you let me be one of your servants? So the son started heading home, dirty, smelly, pig stuff all over him. And as he walked, he kept rehearsing that little speech. Now the father was sitting on the porch like he had been doing since his son had left. Let's pick up Luke 15, 20. Now while he was still a long ways off, the father saw him. Looks, looks like my son. And he was filled with compassion and he ran to his son. Something fathers never did in their culture. In fact, the only time we ever see God in a hurry in scriptures is when he's in a hurry to forgive. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him and he said, and the young man said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, which was a mark of honor. Put on a ring on his finger, which was a sign of authority. Put sandals on his feet, which was a sign of sonship. Bring the fatted calf and kill it, which was a sign it's party time. <laughs> Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I'm going to welcome the worship band to come back. Okay, here's what God wants you to take from this message today. He wants two things from you. First, stop hiding. Listen, I know some of you really don't believe it. Sure, you've heard it hundreds of times. Maybe even some of you have taught it. But you don't fully believe it. Not down deep inside. And next, start being Start being Jesus to the people in this world. You see, in many ways, this world is just one huge orphanage full of people. I mean, you work with them. You live with them. You go to school with them who need to know that it's safe for them to come out of hiding too. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, cried for, from a blood-stained cross, Ollie. Ollie, oxen free. You can come out now. It's safe. There's no penalty. It is finished. I paid it all just for you. Amen.